This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hi, this is Women Who Travel, a now not-so-new podcast from Condé Nast Traveller that digs deep into the realities of travelling as a woman today and celebrates why we'll never stay home. And this week, Meredith is calling all the way from Dallas... Hello! I'm so excited uh, that I actually could make this. I'm home in Texas, which I talk about a lot, uh, and I'm excited to be chatting with our guest today. I'm excited that Skype is working because that feels like a rare occurrence. (laughs) Um, And this week we're chatting to Liz Clark, or shall I say Captain Liz Clark? Mm -hmm. I'm going to say Captain. All about your life at sea. Liz is a surfer and environmentalist who has been solo sailing the seas on her 40-foot sailboat called Swell since early 2006, and her book, Swell, A Sailing Surfer's Voyage of Awakening, is published by Patagonia this month. In fact, it is out now? Yes, it's it's out. I'm on the book tour right now. And you were at a launch party last night, right? Yes, I was at a book release um, event, signing books and doing some readings. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And how long are you in New York for? Um, it's about 48 hours. So I'm soaking up the energy of the city. It's really fun. Well, you got like actually amazing weather, which probably won't last very long. (laughs) I feel quite (laughs) lucky. I actually just had like one burning question that I wanted to ask you before we kind of really get into the nitty gritty, which is, I don't know if you count, but how many countries do you think you've been to at this point? It's probably around maybe 15. I haven't been too far in the Pacific, actually. So um, I've been to a lot of individual islands, Mm -hmm. but um, I've explored one area quite thoroughly. And so, yeah, um, I still have a a lot to explore. And wait, so what area is that? Mm -hmm. French Polynesia. Oh my God, tell us everything. (laughs) (laughs) It's really beautiful. Yeah, definitely put it on your list. Where did you start the first kind of this first journey to even get out to French Polynesia in the first place? Sure. Um, I I grew up in San Diego, and so my my sailing dreams were kind of born on the coast of California and uh, Mexico. We took a six-month trip to Mexico when I was nine years old, and that's when I really kind of got this idea of seeing the world by boat uh, when I was older. And then I was really lucky to have met a, a mentor when I was 23, who wanted to give me his sailboat to sail um, off on this long voyage that I was dreaming of. And so um, it took us about 
three years to overhaul the boat, and then I set off from California south towards Mexico and Central America, and then um, and then set off towards the South Pacific from from Panama City in um, 2007. And you've spent a lot of a lot of this time alone on the ship, boat, ship, boat. Let's get that that out of the way first. <laughs> one, yeah. Sometimes I call her a ship. She's a cute little ship. <laughs> and and how much like how much time are you spending at sea on these journeys? How is that? How does that work? Mm-hmm. Well, the last three years I've been mostly in a in port. Actually, I've been anchored off a small island in French Polynesia, working on this book. I was got to a point after about eight to nine years of of nomadic sea life that I was kind of looking, um, I was ready to grow some roots somewhere and uh, Patagonia approached me about writing this book about my voyage and so it was kind of good timing. So so the f- for the past three years I've been um, more uh, stopped in one area but before that uh, I spent a lot of time moving between the islands and um, choosing different destina- destinations kind of based on what, where the surf would be good and um, where the seasons are the best for sailing. So, um, I yeah, it's um, it's a mix of, of passages, time out on the sea between places. And then I really, you know, love to actually be in a place and get to know it and spend enough time to really understand the culture, learn a bit of the language. And, um, you know, so so I was I'm not in, I haven't been in a hurry uh, on. I've try, tried to take time to slow down and really um, get to know a place. So you're not one of those country counters? No, I'm not. <laughs> and I'm not one of those sail around the world without stopping people either. I think I like your style. <laughs> I think that's how I want to do it. Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned this childhood trip um, when you were nine. And um, I was wondering kind of what made you decide to live your life on the water. Like, was it a conscious decision or was it you know, you had a childhood in such proximity to it that it just made sense. Yeah, I I was definitely drawn to it having grown up and had all our family vacations and summer trips kind of spent on boats. So I had that foundation and background um, growing up. And then, you know, I actually, when I set out, I thought I would maybe be gone two or three years. And the deal with my mentor, Barry Schuyler, was he was going to help me financially set the boat up to um, get ready to go. And then once I got out there, I had to figure out how to get around the world on my own. I garnished some sponsors over the years. I did a lot of writing and and photography. And um, it was kind of in the era where blogs wasn't even a thing yet. And so I was really lucky to be kind of at the forefront of that. And I gained some, some, um, you know interest for being a solo female captain and I sold some articles and you know I was able to just keep it all going and so and the lifestyle pleased me so much just the freedom and exploration and learning and meeting all these new people that uh, I really didn't want to go home so I just you know as long as I could I'm still kind of keeping it going and and that's gotten me to where I am today so. And um, what did that first night on the boat by yourself feel like? Oh gosh. Well, the very first night when I left, I was actually with a couple of friends. But um, that night was, was totally frightening. 
we'd poured so much time and money into making this boat um, ready to go, but I really didn't know if I could physically or mentally take on this challenge of being a captain. And so, uh, yeah, that first night off of San Diego, we I, we stopped at a little island just south of the of the Mexican border, and. I was totally petrified. Should I go back? You know, can I really do this? And and it was really just t- had to take it one day at a time at the beginning. But uh, my first actual bit of time alone on the boat was really special. That was about a year and a half into the voyage, maybe a little closer to two. And, um, and I was really, I'd gained a lot of confidence that I could be a captain and, and, um, I'd never really spent a lot of time by myself. So it was a really amazing period of time where I was just getting to know myself. And, and I, I found that traveling by myself was so freeing. I was able to just change my mind whenever I wanted and um, you know stay longer in a place if I really liked it and not be on a schedule because I had to meet someone in a different port that was coming as crew or whatever. So it was a it was just a really cool time to get to know myself as a person and um, kind of, you know, that's actually what I would say sparked um, kind of a spiritual connection to the unknown. And um, that solitude was really powerful thing for me. I love how most people in their twenties just like make themselves go eat dinner in a restaurant alone. And you went and (laughs) like spent the night at sea alone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Many (laughs) nights at sea. Mm-hmm. But yeah, small goals, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, going off of that question and that idea of spending so much time by yourself, um, we've talked a lot about solo travel on this podcast and how incredible it can be. But I think that as someone who has been on a cruise ship where I felt like only being able to see the horizon very small and I was surrounded by a ton of other people, you know, how did you combat the loneliness? And just like very small fish in a very, very large pond feeling that I can imagine would come from sailing through the Pacific. Yeah. Um, I would say I worked up to it little by little. And then once I was, you know, really comfortable with my boat and really um, more assured that I could take on whatever the ocean was going to bring me it didn't feel like such an overwhelming lonely feeling it actually felt like a very freeing and just exciting feeling to be out there by myself that that power um you know that being out there on the sea can make you feel so small but it can also make you feel so powerful and so so big and so a part of um, you know, nature and this beautiful world that we live in. So it was cool to, you know, feel the contrasting feelings at once and, and just kind of, it was part of me trying to figure out my place in the world and my um, place in the cosmos, you know. So I would encourage anyone to whatever type of nature you uh, feels accessible to you to get out there on your own and, and do a trip out where you're kind of uh, alone with the elements, you know. Yeah, I think that, and something that we've been talking about a lot recently in the office and and has kind of been a through thread um, in what we've been writing about is is protecting these places that we love and want to visit Mm -hmm. so much. Uh, And we had a bunch of ocean conservationists on an earlier episode 
Um, but when I, I was looking at your Instagram the other day, and it was you on the beach picking up all these plastic straws. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just am curious, having gotten to see firsthand the power of the ocean, how you make the lifestyle choices and, and conscious traveling choices that come with protecting this beautiful part of our planet. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel so lucky to have been able to see these beautiful places that I've seen. And, um, you know, I know that not everyone will get the chance to visit these far off islands and, um, you know, live this sailing dream that I've been able to pull off. And seeing these places has come with, you know, a bit of a responsibility. And I feel like I really need to hold myself accountable for um, doing better to keep these places pristine and to combating climate change, which is the biggest, you know, issue we're facing, especially in the Pacific Islands um, in terms of rising sea levels. You know, it's, it's pretty sobering when you're out there and you're meeting these people who are, you know, taking you in like as a stranger and just, um, you know, so warm and welcoming and their islands are, you know, going to be some of the first at risk of being lost to, um, you know, our lavish lifestyles here in the first world. So, so yeah, I think at this point, um, I've just really done a lot on an individual level to see, you know, what can I do in my daily life to make choices that are going to have a, a lighter impact on the planet. And um, that's become just so important to me. Uh, both with my use of single-use plastics, you know, being really conscious of that and being a leader and, and a voice for that, along with climate change. And um, I think that's been mostly through um, choosing to eat a plant-based diet. I feel like every day I'm able to, you know, cut my carbon footprint in half, along with so many other environmental benefits um, that, uh, you know, it's, it's such an overwhelming thing that we're facing, but I think when you do try to do the best you can on an individual level, it does give you a sense of empowerment and hope that we can do better and, and we can turn this ship around, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, and something that I found super interesting when I was reading your book and reading about your book was that you didn't include place names to a lot of the places that you visited and surfed at. Can you mm -hmm. explain why? Yes, of course. Um, for me going out there and and finding these places on my own was such an amazing feeling uh, that I really wanted to give people the inspiration but not the roadmap you know I feel like I wanted to preserve that experience of exploration for other people that come behind me because you know this world is so mapped out and so um, you know everything's been done and explored and and I just feel like uh, to be able to hold on to that as much as we can and and make those experiences available of discovery and um, just uh, the spontaneity that can happen when you just go out on and go go looking for something and don't know exactly what you're looking for I feel like preserving that as much as possible is a really good thing I love that because I feel like also often when you read about someone that's done something really exciting and really interesting, the temptation is to try and recreate it rather than like forge your own path. Sure. Um, and actually just on an aside, 
Um, when you inst- on your Instagram, I'm assuming then you don't like geotag anything. Never, unless I'm in the U.S. or somewhere mm-hmm. where, um, you know, I'm doing an event or something that's that's not, you know, a secret place or you're um, in a Patagonia store. Yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just um, it's become really important to me to kind of, you know not impact these places mm-hmm. that I go to. I don't want to cause, um, you know, a big influx of tourism in some of these places. I hope that it can happen kind of more organically and, and um, later on the, on, the, on the place. Keep it like it is as much <laughs> as possible. Now I, that we've talked about being spontaneous, I think Lala and I have like so many questions about the logistics of doing this whole yes. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it. Well, I was just sort of wondering, you know, when you go out, well, firstly, sort of how long is sort of an average voyage, would you say? So the longest was um, the crossing from the Galapagos Islands to French Polynesia, which was 22 days. Um, An average would be more like three to four Mm -hmm. to five days. And then, you know, depending on how the distance between islands, it could be shorter or longer, but. And so, all right, so, you know, you know you're out for this stretch of time. Mm-hmm. So how much of an itinerary do you and can you create? And how much do you leave up to chance? Yeah, um, the, the nicest, I would say the best way to sail is to not have too firm of a plan because you are always subject to the elements and the wind can change and and if you get too stuck on having one destination um, you end up fighting a lot to get there Um, so it depends what you're up to but a lot of times you know I'll set a general idea of where I'd like to visit and and then along the way whatever the weather uh, does whatever is the easiest way to get to the other side I end up um, you know shifting my plan according to where the wind will blow me the the easiest hmm. and with and with the sailing training that you have gotten over all these years mm-hmm. how would you suggest people get started just sailing yeah um there's a couple cool ways i i would say if you live in a town where there's um yacht clubs or or marinas accessible a lot of times they do like a weekly sailing race of just for fun where they invite different people to come down and you can generally walk down and and just you know say I'd like to join a crew and and jump on the boat for the afternoon just to get an an idea of what um you know what it's like out there there's also you know um just baseline sailing courses in a lot of the the places um where I grew up in a lot of close coastal towns, uh, which are always, you know, a good idea. And then if you're ready to jump right in, you can um, check out some of the crewing websites online that have uh, boats that are looking for crew members to, to accompany them on um, a part of a voyage or a long-term um, passage. And that can be a really cool way to just kind of dive right in and and get to understand what it's like to do, to be living aboard. And because racing sailboats and cruising sailboats is such a different thing. Um, so, you know, people who are looking to do more what I like to do, the cruising side of sailing, um, it's good to, to get an idea 
you know, a window into that before you want to like buy your own boat and make sure you, you really like um, the whole idea of it. So the crewing websites are a really cool way to do that. Gotcha. And that way, you know, if you want to actually spend 22 days at sea. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. And, um, so I read that, I don't know if it was this specific 22, 22, 22, (laughs) 22 days at sea, um, that you spent with your mother sailing. Yes, that was that was the twenty two day passage. How did that come about, and what was that experience like? Yeah. I I don't. I mean, I, I I kind of don't know whether me or my mum would kill the other first, and we are very close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was really not sure how it was going to go. I was actually in Panama City, and I was um, I'd I'd had lots of different crew with me, friends and and people for that first year and a half of my voyage, and. At that point, I don't know what I was just decided I was ready to try to sail alone. And so I wrote to my parents and and let them know that this was my idea. And they were not um, as excited about it as I was. But my dad, who's definitely the sailor of my two parents, um, he had work and he couldn't he couldn't make the trip. So uh, somehow he talked to my dear mother, who it does not love being out in the elements like that um, into to to taking this on with me. And and she decided she wanted to do it. And she stepped really far out of her comfort zone. And she flew down to meet me in the Galapagos. And and we set out and spent um, 22 days crossing the Pacific together. And what was so cool about it was that um, I'd been such a driven teenager and I was so focused on this dream that I'd never really gotten to know my mom as a person versus like a mom-daughter relationship. And so spending all that time together, you know, we, we had some rough weather, we had we had a little bit of everything and, and she really got to see what, um, you know, the beauty of what I was doing out there. She came to understand my dream a lot better. And I became to understand, I came to understand her as a person so much more, um, which just made her, has made our relationship better ever since. We are so close now. And um, it, it was, it was amazing to, to take that on together and come on the other side and see the islands rise up out of the horizon after 22 days. And, you know, yeah, we'll never, We'll, we'll be better for it, you know, forever. So um, cheers to mom for, for getting out there with me. She's a hero. I want to add just very quickly that Meredith and I had had this grand plan of doing a Mother's Day episode. And we were like, yeah, they'll be down. They'll both want to come on the podcast. They bailed. They were busy. <laughs> no way. <laughs> both burned. moms. Yeah, That's both, hilarious. Both traveling. Um, so if that tells you anything. I love it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Too busy. I know. Too busy exactly. having fun. Next year. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Next yeah. Year. Um, how were you, are you even able to find like private space and time on a sailboat the size of Swell if there are other people there? No. <laughs> Definitely no. Um, being on a sailboat with other people is is 
it's a remarkable experience. You get to know each other so fast. It's like zero to 60. There's nowhere to hide anything. Everything's in such a small space. And any of your weird little quirks um, just come out instantly because, you know, oftentimes you're you're working together to to move this boat from one place to another or um you know everyone has their own ideas of what they want to do and you have to compromise and and get you know try to work together to to get out of the experience whatever you're looking for so it can either be like wonderful if you're with people that um you know understand each other and it can be totally the opposite if um you know you get out there with people who um don't quite see life the same way you do so um when you are signing up for those crewing jobs uh, um or um experiences yeah be sure to get to know the people a bit before you take on any large stretches of water together (laughs) yeah what's the largest number of people you've had on swell um i've had probably six or seven for short periods of time that were just fun little many trips I did um but swell is more ideal for two or three people that's yeah. quite different <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah pretty fun if you have the all a bunch of you know of your girlfriends or something I've had a couple really fun times with, with a bunch of my friends but you have to be pretty close mm-hmm. and also sometimes you can be really good friends with someone and they'll s- you you won't be able to live together, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely people that um, you know I I wouldn't want to spend a ton of time on a boat with, but I love dearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we talked a lot about you know what the experience is like of being alone on the boat mm-hmm. boat. Um, and obviously, when you talk about solo travel, there's always like um, questions of safety that come up, and you know what your experience as a woman is. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering. You know, when you sail into into the ports of these tiny islands and mm-hmm. you step off your boat and you walk into a restaurant or a bar, mm-hmm. you know, how do people receive you? Yeah. Oftentimes, I'm, the majority of, of the time, people are really fascinated by the fact that I've made it to these places on my own, you know. It's really fun to see their reactions. Even a lot of times the first people I meet are fishermen and they'll come up and they'll be like, where's your husband? And, um, and I'm like, it's just me. And and they're always, you know, shocked to, to see that, um, you know, I'm the one running this boat. So it's fun to, to open people's minds and and um, especially the young kids, the young girls, it's really fun to see their reaction and, and um, hopefully plant some seeds to s- for them that, you know, more is possible than they think. Um, and there's, you know, in the boating world, there's a little bit of everything. Sometimes you get these um, grumpy sailors who maybe it rubs their ego a little bit the wrong way that there's this um, small blonde girl out here like able to do what they were doing as well. So I do have a bit, I do tend to see a bit of that too. Um, but for the, for the most part, it's a, it's very positive reactions and, and I end up, you know, having lots of curiosity and people wanting me to come eat dinner with them or, you know, just uh, tell them more about my experience. So yeah, I've found just a deep faith in humanity out there because I've just had so many good people want to help me or you know um, watch out for me when I get to a place 
I never had any huge security issues other than ones that I brought on by myself on my own um, measure with a, <laughs> a, a pretty crazy relationship I got myself into but um, but yeah otherwise I've had really beautiful experiences with people and and I never had any weapons or anything like that I just kind of created like I would call it like a bubble of positivity and whether what when I would arrive in a place I se- would seem to attract good people and just um uh, try to stick by them and um, ask them for advice about, you know, what was okay to do or not as a woman. And, and I'd always kind of dress down and not try to attract more attention to myself than possible and just simple little things mm-hmm. like that. And I never really had any any big issues. Have ever caused big issues for you? Yeah, I've definitely found myself out there in plenty of moments where I, you know, I was wishing I'd chosen some other <laughs> way to see the world thinking how nice a plane ticket and a backpack would be but uh you know I've always made it out the other end and um it's funny how sailing I, I not that I've had a child but I, I kind of like to compare it to childbirth where like the sailing and getting to someplace can be so hard and you question why you're doing it because it's just so much discomfort and and um, fatigue, and you know, I get seasick too. So, uh, you know, just a lot of times where you're not having fun out there. But then when you get to the other side, you're in these new places, and you have your little house with you. And I mean, it's just so fun, and you forget all about those painful experiences that it took to get there. So, um, it's it's a lot of high highs, and you know, lower lows. But in in the end, it all have stayed motivated to keep going. So. Yeah. Are there any like very specific occasions that you look back on when you were sat on the boat in a storm or on just a particularly terrible day where you were just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm done. Definitely like multiple times. Um, I lightning storms come to mind the most. Uh, I had several encounters with lightning that were just so frightening, just scared me to the deepest part of my core because you're just so you have no control whether that lightning's going to strike the boat or or not and um, with wind and waves you can there's a little bit of something you can do to kind of uh, manage but uh, with lightning you're just so vulnerable um, and then other times where things are broken and you know equipment failures or I had this big leak in my boat that uh, took about 11 months and three different haul outs of the boat over a year and a half. And it was just this, uh, just this mystery and this long process of fixing. I didn't know how to do it. And I was living in this foreign boatyard, didn't know how to speak the language. It was just hard to find people that wanted to help me. And I definitely thought about packing it all up and, and heading home um, a few times during that time. But I, I really came to see that that those challenges and those, um, you know, those really hard times that left me really vulnerable uh, in the moment that they were really awful. But in the end, they they really opened me up to uh, greater perspectives. And I found like a deeper compassion for other beings in similar states of vulnerability. And so I would say, in, um, you know, I've found blessings in all of the challenges. And that's the been the only way that I could really like keep going through all of all of them 
so yeah, changing your attitude can, can help even in the moment, you know. And once you're done with this book tour, after having spent all that time ported and writing, what's next? I think I need a little break. I've um, decided that I'm going to take myself on a vacation. I don't know quite where that's going to be or how, but it's not going to involve any boat work um, or staring at a computer, I hope. So um, so that's probably the first thing on my list after the book book tour. It's just been so much work getting this book um, into reality. And then, you know, the the tour and everything, it's been pretty uh, tiring. And so, so that'll be first. And then, yeah, there's, there's so much more I want to do. And I have a really awesome partner in my life at this point. So uh, we didn't really have much time to sail during this book writing process. So I'd love to get out there and explore and see some new places I haven't seen um, with him and see if, uh, you know, if we enjoy that, that part of uh, the relationship together. So that's probably um, next coming up. Yeah, well, that seems like a very nice note to wrap things up on. Yeah. And where can our listeners find you on the interweb and where can they find your book? Yes, so uh, you can find me at my website, which is swellvoyage.com. And on my website, there's lots more information about the book. But you can find the book on um, Amazon or at Patagonia.com. There's, um, you can order it through Patagonia and have um, eco-friendly shipping and 1% for the planet. So I encourage people to get the book there. And um, you can also follow me. I'd pr- I think the most up-to-date way to follow me is through Instagram at, at Captain Liz Clark. I tend to update Instagram more often than my blog these days because things are moving so quickly. So that's a good place to find me too. And also I want to add that on Liz's website, there's lots of um, great information about being more of a conscious traveler um, from the way you eat to the way you move around the world. Yes. Awesome. Check it out. Yes. Last minute plug. Shout out to Hawaii for passing um, a statewide ban of chemical sunscreens today. Yes, yes. Very exciting news. I've worked very closely um, with this sunscreen movement towards, uh, you know, eco-friendly sunscreen. So uh, this is a huge breakthrough and very exciting. Yeah, first state to do so. Hopefully Mm -hmm. rest of the coastal states will catch on. Start following suit. Yes, agreed. Thanks for that. And you can find me at Lale Hannah on Instagram. And Meredith, where can people find you? You can find me at Ohaver Mayor. And you can listen to Women Who Travel on iTunes and all the other podcast platforms that you may be using. And you can catch us next week. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. 
1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.